Okay, church, we're in Luke 5 still today. We are in verses 27 through 32. So we have this section and one more. One more sermon, and we will finish chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you'll turn to Luke 5, 27 through 32. Luke 5, 27 through 32. The title of the sermon is Jesus Saves the Worst. Jesus Saves the Worst. And it says this, After he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in that tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. For the truth of this passage, God, that you came, you sent your Son to save sinners of the worst kind. Lord, we thank you for uh, just such a blessed reminder in this text, Father, that that you do save the worst of the worst, God. That there's nothing we can do to earn anything from you. We have nothing to boast in, but only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to us and us to the world. We thank You for that cross. We thank You for Your Son. Father, I pray that You would help me, Lord, to communicate this this glorious truth, Lord, to Your people today, that we would all leave here encouraged and strengthened in our faith. We, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys ever wondered how far in the depths of depravity Christ will go to save a soul? You know, the human race is depraved. We are, but have you ever thought of that? Just how far down in the sewer of human depravity Jesus Christ will go. Does His grace have a limit? Does His grace have a limit? Um, what is your attitude when you hear? And these are by way of self-reflection, you know, in all of our hearts, guys, because we all have, we all can have what Bodie Bauckham called the older brother syndrome. And the, the, the prodigal son, which we will cover in chapter 15. And if you remember the older brother, he was a picture of the self-righteous person. How could you say this guy? We all have that in us. <laughs> that self-righteous older brother. So, you know, what's your attitude when you hear of certain people receiving forgiveness and being cleansed? And you may think, well, I always rejoice. I hope so. I hope we can always rejoice no matter who it is. What if it was somebody who murdered your spouse and they came to Christ? Would you rejoice? You know, these type of things, guys. None of us are deserving. So it's not only how far God goes in His grace to save a person, but how far in our own mind, you know, uh, do, we, do we picture God's grace, um, you know, have you ever had that thought? And they don't, they don't deserve salvation. They're so bad. 
Guys, you guys remember the story of um, Jim Jim Elliot, Jim Elliot, the missionary. Him and uh, it was in 1956, and he and four other missionaries they went to this they went to this island in in uh, Ecuador, and they were reaching out to some. It's A U C A U C A Aka the Aka tribe, the Aka Indians, a savage tribe taking the gospel to them. And basically, right when they got off the plane. They were killed. They were speared to death. And so it was a, a few years later that, that his wife came back, Elizabeth Elliot, and she brought the gospel to these people, to the very ones who killed her husband and her friends. And God converted large numbers of these tribal members, guys. If there was ever a time for somebody in their mind to go, they don't deserve the good news. I'm not taking the good news, but she did just the opposite. What an example. You know Time Magazine wrote an article about that people, that, that, that tribe? They called them the worst people on earth. And they could be described that way. They were savages. They taught their toddlers from the time they could walk to use the spear. And um, they would kill their own. They would kill whoever came to them. That's, that's what they were about. And yet God, we have a real... Real, real story of God saving even what Time Magazine would call the worst of the worst. And we all, we all know stories like that of God saving just wicked and depraved people. And if we know our own hearts, right, we're, we're those people. May we never have those thoughts of the older brother. How could God save that person? No, the, the question we always need to ask is how could God save me? Because we're really no different than they are. We can fall to that kind of depth apart from the grace of God. And it truly is amazing grace. When we think about Jesus not only saving sinners, but He saves the worst of sinners. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 9-11, we, we get a... You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11. Verses that I quote often when I'm preaching that we reference in here many times, but it's really a reminder of this very fact of the grace of God, saving the worst of the worst. And Paul writing to the Corinthians, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the worst of the worst. You can, throw, you can throw murderers in there. There's other lists. You can throw whatever list you want to put in there, but it says these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's all of us. We're all in that list somewhere. Ah, but we have the verse 11. Verse 11 is, is the Corinthian version of, but God. <laughs> Such were some of you. Right? Just like these, these Aka Indians. They were murderers. They were idolaters. They were depraved people. Such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Beloved, are you grateful that Jesus saves the worst? Because we are the worst. We are it. We're it. We're the worst. We're monsters without Christ. We are. Selfish to the core. Murderers at heart, every single one of us. And some of us, apart from the grace of God, will go out and carry out the act. Carry out the act of murder. 
No doubt. There would be people who would without the grace of God. Because it all starts with anger and hatred and throw some stress on, throw some hurt. (laughs) We do all kinds of things as the human race, but Jesus saves the worst. So that's what we're going to see in an individual today, guys. Very familiar passage we just read about God saving, calling to Himself. Levi, we know him as Matthew, the tax collector. And so the first thing we're going to see, guys, is just what a gracious call this is. In verse 27, Luke 5, verse 27, that it's a, it's a gracious call when He calls Levi, when He calls any of us to Himself. It's a gracious call. Apart from works, right? So that no one may boast. So look at verse 27. After He had went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the text booth, and He said to him, Follow Me. After, just meaning after last week, We looked at him healing the paralytic in the home. So this is right after that. After healing and forgiving the paralytic. Isn't that a beautiful thing, guys? That he not only heals, Jesus healed. He had a healing ministry when he was walking the earth. But more importantly, he forgave sins. He has the authority to forgive sins. So this is after that. After healing and forgiving the paralytic, it said he went out. That just means he went out of the house. In Mark's Gospel, we get a little more context. It said he he went out and he walked along the sea. So he's walking along the seashore. And it says he noticed. He went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. That word notice means he gazed intently. He didn't just walk by and glance over. He He gazed at Levi intently. Now, do you think this was by chance? <laughs> the, all, the all-knowing Son of God <laughs> gazing over at the tax collector? No. Do you think it was by chance? Guys, because what we're seeing today is this is when He calls Matthew to Himself. Okay, This is a, His conversion. Do you think it was by chance that you just heard about Jesus and came to Him? you think it was by chance? Do you think it was by your cleverness? No, it wasn't by chance. Jesus Christ... He was gazing at you intently since He formed you in your mother's womb. And He had a day. He knew the day. (laughs) He had a day where He said, come after Me. Come follow Me. It reminds me of of John chapter 4, verse 4, the story where He met the woman at the well. You remember that? He met the woman at the well. He said, Him and His disciples, they were traveling from Judea to Galilee, from the south to the north. I forget the distance, but it was a, a good little ways. And Samaria was in between it. And so they would never travel through Samaria because the Jews hated the Samaritans. So they would go around. They'd be like, we'll take the long way. Well, Jesus that day, it says in John 4.4, 4, He had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because He had an appointment. He had an appointment with another wretch, an adulteress. No, this was not, none of this was by chance. This was God in the sovereignty. He had an appointment with Matthew this day, Levi. And so, a little bit about tax collector. Levi was a tax collector. Last week we looked at the Pharisee. The word Pharisee, we talked about it because it was the first time it was brought up in Luke. It's going to come about again and again, just the self-righteous religious leaders. Levi is a tax collector, just to know a little bit about it. This is what makes this such a gracious story. We know what a tax collector is. They They were the dregs. You ever heard that word, the dregs? I used to be a dreg. (laughs) <laughs> they, were, they were the riffraffs. 
This word's even stronger. They were the scum of the Jewish society. They really were. That's where they were viewed. They were despised. They were hated. Why were they hated so bad? Well, if we if we remember who was Israel under the who, who was Israel was under the oppression of Rome, right? They were under great oppression of Rome. They were under military occupation. And so what kind of Messiah were they expecting? They were they were expecting the, the Messiah to be the military leader to deliver them from Rome, to deliver them from their present enemies, like he did in the Old Testament, right? Delivered them from Assyria and Babylon and these type of things. And so that's what they were waiting for. That's what they were expecting. That's what they were praying for. They didn't understand the Messiah was coming primarily to forgive sins and to deliver from sin. And so, really one of the worst parts of the oppression, the the, the severest part of the oppression was the taxation that the the Jewish people were under, under Rome. Heavy taxation. I mean, just great oppression. And so the tax collectors who were Jews were hired by the Romans to tax their own people. That's what Levi was, a tax collector. He was hired by the Romans to tax their own people. This heavy, oppressive taxation, very large taxes. And then the Romans, they would allow these tax collectors to keep even a percentage higher than that for themselves. So they were literally getting rich off the backs of their own people. These tax collectors. It, in, in chapter 3, guys, if you want to just flip over to your left a couple pages, we, we, we talked about this whenever John the Baptist was preaching. Repentance. Preaching, you know, bare fruits of repentance at the riverside and baptizing people. In Luke 3, 12-14, he said this. He had these different groups of people coming up to him. He was talking about bearing fruits of Repentance. In 3.12 it says, And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you've been ordered to. Stop being greedy. Stop being a thief. And then he even says in in, uh, verse 14, Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. So there was a... It was very likely that the soldiers would accompany the tax collectors. Right? And and help enforce them in their taxation of the people. That's the context of that. So you can see that. They would keep back money for themselves. So So a tax collector was literally joining the enemy to tax their own people. And the Jewish people hated them. They hated them. They were getting rich doing it. It was a very lucrative job. Levi and other tax collectors were were pretty wealthy. They really were. He was definitely the wealthiest of the disciples that had been called. They were viewed as traitors. They were viewed as thieves, extortioners. And they were considered by the Jews as unclean. Unclean. They were barred from the synagogue, forbidden to give testimony in a Jewish court because they were considered to be liars. You see, they were just the dregs of society. And so that's what a tax collector was. They were hated and despised. And so Levi, who we know as Matthew, says he was sitting in a, in a tax booth. And it says, again, in Mark's Gospel, that they were near the shore. 
So they were near the shore in Capernaum. This is taking place in Capernaum, the largest city on the sea. This would have been really very strategic. It would have been at a crossroads for different trade routes. He's making lots of money here. This is a money-making enterprise. And also being near the shore, guess who else he would have been taxing? The fishermen. The fishermen. Make no doubt that uh, Peter and the other disciples who were fishermen, they knew about these tax collectors. They didn't like them either. They, they really made life difficult for people. And so, and, and obviously Jesus did much of His ministry in Capernaum, so Matthew, no doubt, right? By this time, the crowds are following Christ. Word is getting around. Matthew would have heard of Him. Matthew would have heard of this one. Maybe he would have even heard of this one who forgave sin. And it says Jesus noticed Him in verse 27. Again, we're just looking at this gracious call. Jesus noticed him. He gazed intently at him. Again, tax collectors, church, they were considered the worst. They were considered the worst of the worst. They, were, they along with prostitutes and these type of people, were the bottom of the barrel. And it says Jesus gazed intently at him and he said these words Follow me. Follow me. You know, this is a picture of God coming near. Back to our sermon a couple weeks ago. God coming near to that which is unclean. Amen? He's coming near to one who is unclean. He looks at him and He says, not get away from Me, lest you make Me unclean, but follow Me and I'll make you clean. Obviously, Jesus being God in the flesh, He knew Levi's spiritual condition. He knew exactly where He was at. He knew that Levi was under the burden of sin. He knew that Levi, Matthew, was a, a captive to sin, like it talks about in, 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 in Luke chapter 4, that he, would, that he would come and set the captives free, that he was blinded by his own sin, blinded by the devil, under the oppression of sin. The Jewish people were under the oppression of the Roman taxes, but no doubt Matthew understood that it, he felt the oppression of his own sin. And he had heard of this man. And this man walks by and just says, follow me. No conditions, right? He didn't say, hey Matthew, I know all about you. You need to go to Jerusalem, go to the temple. You need to do some sacrifices. You need to clean up your act. And then maybe, meet me back here in two weeks. I'll think about it. No, he just says, follow me. No cleaning himself up. No performance. No religious works of any kind. He just says, follow me to this absolute wretch that the rest of society wishes would just be cast into the Gehenna <laughs> local trash dump. This is a gracious call, beloved. That's what we have here. This is a gracious call to an undeserving wretch who's considered the scum of the earth sinner. Follow me. Follow me. Not only that, guys, but he would be one of his apostles. A tax collector. Jesus transformed into a trophy of his grace, but also as one of his sent ones. One of his apostles. Beloved, he, he not only saves, he not only saves wretches like you and me and Matthew and Levi, but then he uses wretches. To call other wretches. It's a gracious call. What a gracious call, beloved. 
This is His call of salvation. And He saved us no differently than He saved Levi. No differently than He saved Matthew. We were just as guilty. And yet God gazed intently at us one day through the Gospel of His Son being preached and said, come to Me. Come to Me. Secondly, we see Matthew's response, Levi's response. It's a gracious call. Whether it's a tax collector or a murderer, or whether he's calling one of the Pharisees to himself, it's a gracious call, right? By grace we have been saved. Through faith, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. Secondly, let's see his Levi's response. It's a grateful response. This is a miraculous thing. In verse 28-29, it says, And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. What a a miraculous picture of God's amazing grace, saving this evil man. He was an evil man. He was an evil man who destroyed the lives of so many people. Do you understand what that kind of taxation will do to people's lives? He destroyed... That's why they hated Him so much. And yet Jesus is calling this guy by His grace to follow Me. Be one of Mine. Come after Me. The one who destroyed the lives of so many people. Levi, like every other unconverted person, church, he was a child of the devil. What did the devil come to do? Kill, to steal, and destroy. You think of all the people, people's lives that he destroyed. Unconverted people who would hear about a God who would forgive this man. And this man doesn't forget. This man doesn't deserve forgiveness. But this is the God we serve. He saves people who don't forgive or who don't deserve forgiveness. If anyone's in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Beloved, he took this man who was a thief, who was a traitor, who was an extortioner, and he transformed him, as we'll see, into a man who is a giver. That's what God does. That's what the grace of God does. And what a glorious thing, church, that when Jesus calls, guess what happens? Sinners come. When when Jesus calls a man or a woman, they come. Think of Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus to arrest and prison other Christians. Was Christ on his mind at all? Well, I mean... Hatred of him was. He hated Christ. He hated his people. But guess what? Jesus interrupted his trip that day. He said, no, Saul, you're going to follow me. And guess what? Saul followed him. When Jesus calls, sinners come. What should that, what should that do for you and I, guys? Who, who we all have loved ones, friends, family. Some of them we, think, we may think, man, he's just too far gone. Don't give up. Don't give up praying for your loved one. Don't give up and, and, and seeking to engage them with the Gospel if they allow you to. I mean, there comes a time where somebody may not want to hear it anymore. But don't give up in the prayer closet. Because when Jesus calls, sinners come. You can mark that one down. It says He, he got up in verse 28 and began to follow. This was a decisive decision. A break with His past. It's Repentance. And it was a continual pattern of following Him. That's what that phrase means. Get up and He began to follow. It's a continual pattern of following. 
Because he, he had encountered the grace of God. And what, is, what does the grace of God do in our lives? In Titus 2, 11 and 12, it says, The grace of God is what trains us and teaches us to renounce ungodliness, our old life, and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives and to follow after Christ. It's the grace of God that does that. Flip over to Luke chapter 19 real quickly, guys. It's a story that we will cover eventually. But we'll, we can see an illustration of another tax collector, a picture of another tax collector being saved and what this would have looked like in Matthew's life. In Luke 19, 5-10, this is the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the short guy who climbed up in the sycamore tree? He was a tax collector. You know, you always think of Zacchaeus, all oh, this little, short, jolly, happy guy. He was one of the despised scum. And he, he climbed up in the sycamore tree because he was short. He wanted to see Jesus. He knew he was coming. I love this story. Luke 19, 5-10. When Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Much like we're going to see Matthew's story. When, it, when they saw it, uh, they all began to grumble. Here's the religious leaders again, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Here, here we see the fruits of repentance. What it would look like. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my possessions... I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And here's the key right here. Why is he saying this? Jesus says it right here. Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house. That's the key right there. Salvation has come to this house. And this is the result. This man <laughs> who was a thief, now, because he's been transformed by the grace of God, he's like, I want to... I want to go out and give it back. That's what God does. That's what the grace of God does. These people that I used to wrong, oh, how I, used, how I wish I could go back to those people in high school who I treated badly. And I've got to tell some of them over there, hey, I'm sorry. I was like this. And most of them was like, ah, okay, I don't remember you. Being that. But just can, I, I remember how selfish I was. That's what this guy's doing. This is, this is conversion. A thief being the most generous person around. This is the grace of God. It says, it says Levi, back to, back to Levi, it says he left everything to follow him. You know, it, it said the fishermen did that as well. Peter and James and John. Remember, they left everything to follow him. You know, beloved, in a sense, it even cost Matthew more because he was wealthy. He was wealthy. Think about fishermen. Think about the fishermen, the disciples who were fishermen. You know, if this whole thing with Jesus didn't work out, they could return to their livelihood. They could pick their... Well, matter of fact, Peter did. At the end of John, he said, I'm going fishing again. But a tax collector? No. He, he, was, he was walking away from this permanently. He couldn't go back. So this really cost. The cost was high. He left everything to follow him. You know, we see the humility in Matthew. In Matthew's own account of this story, in Matthew 9, verse 9, he gave the story, but he, he, he didn't mention himself leaving everything to follow Him. You just see the humility there. He didn't mention that. But even that, that's a fruit of grace, right? It's a fruit of grace. Humility. Matthew had discovered His very reason for existence. See, Jesus knew where He was at. 
He knew where He was at with His sin. He knew He was under that burden of sin. And Jesus came and called Him, Matthew, come and follow Me. I'm the one who has authority to forgive sins. Matthew had finally discovered why he was alive. Why he existed for Christ. Colossians 1.16 We were all made not only by Him, but for Him. You were made for Christ. I was made for Christ. For Jesus. We were made for Jesus. You and I were made for Jesus. Jesus and His kingdom. Jesus and His kingdom had become the pearl of great price to Him. You don't, have to, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to jot them down, it's just three verses over in Matthew 13. One of, the, one of the chapters on some parables. Listen to this and think of Matthew. Think of Levi. Think of, think of um, Zacchaeus. Think of your own life. Matthew 13, 44. 46, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. Yeah, right, you find this treasure and then you hide it again because you know the worth of it and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has so he can buy the whole field just so he can have that. That's the kingdom of God. That's Christ. This is what Matthew has discovered. I'll leave everything if I can have Christ. I'll give up my life if I can have Christ. Verse 44, or verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's a picture of Christ. Picture of the kingdom. And Matthew had found it. This tax collector had found what his heart... We're made for Christ, beloved. We are made for Christ. And we don't even realize it until we, we, He saves us. We realize this is what I was made for. Made to know Him. We're seeing Matthew's grateful response. First of all, he left everything to follow Him. In verse 29, it says, And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. A big reception. A feast. He's having a party. For who? It says for him, for Christ. And Levi gave a big reception for him, for Jesus. Why was, why was there a big crowd and a big reception? Because he probably had a fairly large house because he was wealthy. Tax collector. He was throwing a party, beloved, for his Savior. Having a feast. He was expressing his love, his worship, his gratefulness. To his Savior. Church, can I remind you of something? Don't forget your first love. This is Matthew's first love, right? I mean, this is his conversion. He's, ex- he's demonstrating his love for his Savior. What does Jesus warn? Is it the Ephesian church, I believe, in Revelation? You left your first love. Beloved, we try to take, we take doctrine seriously because we should. You know, being in the Word of God and these things. But don't let doctrine even replace your first love. Don't let Bible study replace your first love. Jesus is your first love. Right? We can't know Jesus truly without knowing sound doctrine, but you know what I mean. Don't let anything good replace your first love. Good things can replace our first love. We're seeing Matthew's love for his Savior, and he not only has this party for Christ, but he invites his old friends. 
We saw that last time, right? The, the paralytic's friends were bringing their friend to Jesus. Matthew's doing the same thing. Levi's bringing his friends. You've got to meet this man, right? The, the, the woman of Samaria, it said she went and told, told the people in Samaria, you've got to meet this man who told me everything I ever did. Matthew said, this man has forgiven me for my sins. And he has these old friends. He invites his old friends. Beloved, how about you? You desire to invite your friends, your family, other people to the Savior. He says tax collectors and other people. In Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew's account, he, he specifies tax collectors and sinners. The two, the two are synonymous. <laughs> They're always used together. Tax collectors and sinners. There would have been thieves here at this party. Drunks. Prostitutes, no doubt. Sinners of all kinds is what we have here. It's a party of sinners. And Jesus is there. Jesus is invited. Aren't you so glad that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Of all kinds. Of all kinds. Even the savage people like the Aka Indians. He came to save sinners. He doesn't put conditions on it. The conditions is, come to me. Come to me. That's the condition. Matthew also omits any reference to him given a big reception. Again, we see the humility in Matthew. He told the story, but he, he left that part out. See, everything used to be about him. Now, he is, he is being humbled by the grace of God. Everything used to be about him, right? Lining his pockets and getting rich off of his own people. But again, Jesus makes sinners new, right? Now he's a generous giver like we saw Zacchaeus become. Isn't that amazing that you can find these, these guys? guys it, it, sometimes we just have to stop and put ourselves in that story of just how these people were viewed and how they really were. I mean, they abused people by just wiping them clean out of greed. And now you got these, the Holy Spirit has given these guys new hearts and they're wanting to give it back. And they're wanting to be a blessing to those around Him. A work of saving grace is what we see here. The work of God's grace in the soul of a man or a woman, beloved. This is the Romans 1.16 power that we talk about so much. That the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That through the Gospel of Christ, we are truly made into a new person with a new heart, new affections, new desires. It turns a thief into a generous person. The grace of God turns somebody who is immoral and impure into somebody who desires to be pure with their very lives, their very thoughts. It takes a man who is a man or a woman who is deceitful to the core and causes that person to be a lover of truth. Not just a lover of God's truth, but somebody who wants to walk in the truth. It takes a person who hates God and hates other people and transforms them into somebody who just loves God and loves other people, even their enemies. 
Can any of you identify with that? The grace of God. That's what the grace of God does. It makes them to a lover of God and a lover of people. Matthew, above all, he became a lover of souls. A lover of Christ and a lover of souls. Listen to what J.C. Ryle of the 19th century says. It says, It may be safely asserted that there is no grace in the man who cares nothing about the salvation of his fellow men. It's much like Spurgeon said, right? Somebody who doesn't care about the... has no desire, no cares about the salvation of his fellow men. He said, it may be safely asserted that there is no grace in that man. The soul which has been truly called of God will earnestly desire that others may experience the same calling. It's inevitable. A converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone, Ryle says. And that's what we see in Matthew's account right here from the very start. You guys got to come meet this man. Beloved, what would cause missionaries to go to a tribe like the, like the Aka Indians knowing that they're savage? What would cause a man or a woman to do that? The call of God. The grace of God. The love of God. The love for souls, beloved. This is a grateful response to the call of Christ. Do you and I have a grateful response to the call of Christ? And last, we'll see the glorious explanation that Christ gives to the Pharisees in verse 30-32. So first of all, we'll see this great explanation, this glorious explanation. We'll see what what he's responding to in verse 30, the question that the Pharisees ask. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Their question. This is their question that he responds to. Can you hear the self righteousness and the arrogance in this question? Why do you why why, why do why do you guys and your and your teacher hang out with sinners is what he's saying. Is what they're saying. This is, this is self-righteousness. Of course, we talked about that last week. That's who these men were. Everything was outer. Everything was external. Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs on the inside. You're clean on the outside, but you're hypocrites. Proverbs 16.5 says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. These men were proud. Obviously, they weren't invited. They weren't sitting at the table, guys. They weren't... Matthew wouldn't have invited them. They would not have come if they were invited. So they're not sitting there with them, okay? It doesn't say, but they probably heard, they probably knew there was some commotion, a crowd gathering once again with this Jesus guy. And they probably just heard what was going on. They didn't have windows like we have that block all the sound. Or maybe they heard about it a little later. But they heard what was going on. And so they, they knew that Jesus and His disciples... We're hanging out with these sinners, right? Tax collectors and sinners. And so they ask that question. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Scum. They were grumbling at His disciples. You're breaking the law, right? You're... Well, again, what did they believe? The Pharisees, we talked about last week, they believed in salvation by separating oneself from that which is unclean. So, so in their minds, they're... 
You know, again, their religion, it's, it's outward, it's, it's external, it's hypocritical. They're thinking, if this man is holy, right? If this man is from God, why would he be hanging out with sinners? Because to eat with someone meant it meant friendship, it meant fellowship, it meant full acceptance, it meant intimacy. How could he possibly be righteous? And you guys are with him. Why are you hanging out with sinners? Oh, I'm so thankful in Matthew 11:19, where we get that phrase that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Hallelujah. He is a friend of sinners. So what's Jesus' explanation to this question? In verse 31, And Jesus answered and said to them, so they, they grumbled to His disciples, but Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. This is His explanation. It's a glorious explanation. He either overheard or He just knew their thoughts. But He knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were grumbling. And so, basically, this is not Jesus. This picture of Jesus hanging out with these sinners these tax collectors, having a meal with them. You guys have heard the phrase, right? Birds of a feather flocking together. That's what they were thinking. Uh, he's just like them. That's why He's hanging out with them, because He's just like them. He's hanging out with these sinners. But that's not what Jesus was doing, was He? It was not birds of a feather flocking together. This was holy God hanging out with guilty sinners. Why? Because Jesus was hanging out with these folks as what? As a physician. As the great physician. That's why He was there. It's okay for you and I to hang out with sinners, guys. We should do that. But not as the birds of a feather flocking together. We shouldn't be running with them. That's what it means where bad company corrupts good character. No, we're to be what? In the world, but not of the world. But not, the, not with the Pharisees. Oh, you're hanging out with them? That's because you're like them. Oh no. He's the great physician. The great physician has come. Beloved, isn't the church of Jesus Christ, when I say the church, I mean the church, isn't it beautiful? What's the, what's the requirement to be in the church? It's unlike anything else. Here's some requirements. Are you unclean? Are you guilty? Are you sinful? Are you wretched? Are you dirty? And then even more so, are you aware of these things? Are you aware of how unworthy and how undeserving you are? And are you desperate to be forgiven and cleansed? Then you qualify to be in the church. It's a beautiful thing, the church of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 17.9, the prophet says, how desperately... It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Our hearts are sick and wicked. And Jesus is the physician of souls and He has come. And that's the picture here. That's why He's hanging out with these sinners. He came to rescue and to seek and to save that which was lost. Beloved, Jesus can and He does save the worst. This is His very heart. You want to know the heart of Jesus? The heart of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28-30. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. Do you hear that? That is the heart of our Savior towards sinners. He is gentle with sinners. That's who He is. That's, it's like, that's the very reason He came was, that, was to come to the scum of the earth and to save. And in closing, let's look at verse 32 real quick. He, 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 what is He saying in verse 32? I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I came for the unclean. These are the very ones I came for. If you are saved, beloved, you know that the verse I just read in Jeremiah 17, 9 about the heart, you know the truth of that verse, right? Those of us who have been regenerated, we know that verse is so true. Our hearts are so desperately wicked and sick apart from Christ. And so thanks be to God that the physician of our souls came to this earth to heal us from our sin. This is a statement, this statement that he makes in verse 32, it's a statement of irony and even sarcasm. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Are there any righteous? No, there's none righteous. He's being sarcastic. None's righteous, right? Romans 3, Paul quoting Psalms. Not even one. There are none righteous. There's none who does good. Not even one. But what's, the, what's he saying here? These men, they see themselves as righteous. That's the sarcasm here. He goes, I didn't come to save people like you because you think you're righteous. Their sin had blinded them. These, these were Pharisees. These were teachers of the law. Teachers of the Old Testament. They should have known what Isaiah said in Isaiah 64. 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy rag. But their sin had blinded them. You know what's, you know what's happening with these men? He did this so many times. He is judiciously leaving them to their foolishness. In Matthew 15.14, here's an example. Matthew 15.14, it's, it's, it's one of the examples where He was rebuking the Pharisees for their hypocritical religion. That's where He said, you're like, you're like whitewashed tombs. He said, in vain do they worship Me. That's when they were talking about, you know, these, they don't eat with their hands washed. Everything was outward. And He's rebuking them. And the disciples come up and say, and told him, hey, you know, the Pharisees were offended by what you said. And Jesus, this is what he says to them. He says, let them alone. Let those religious hypocrites alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both of them will fall into a pit. That's what he's doing with these men. You think you're so self-righteous, then I didn't come for you. You're just going to, you're going to, you're going to fall in the pit and you're going to lead others into the pit. No, I came to save those who are sinners and know they're sinners. No one needed repentance more than these hypocrites. So beloved, let us never be deceived by mere outward religion. Okay? Outward religion deceives. Jesus is always interested in the heart. What's on the inside, not on the outside. And so beloved, He came to call sinners. Amen? Are you grateful? He came to call sinners, those who know they are unclean and in desperate need for cleansing and salvation. And what did He call them to? See, He didn't come and just to hang out with sinners and tell them feel-good stories. No. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners what? To repentance. He came to call sinners to repentance. He came to call sinners like us to a new life. 
Go and leave your life of sin and follow after Me. That's always the message. Repent and believe the Gospel. This is the very reason He came. The very reason He came was to seek and to save that which was lost. For those who are lost, He came to call you out of darkness. You are to turn from your sin and to trust Him alone for the salvation of your souls and to follow after Him. He paid for sin upon the cross. He rose again for our justification. He defeated death and hell. This was His very mission. He came to give His life as a ransom. This was the message He came to proclaim. And this is the message He gave us to proclaim. To tell sinners this good news. And not just sinners, but the worst of sinners like us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace, God. Uh, We thank You for Your Word that gives us, Father, stories like this to remind us, Lord, of who You save. You save sinners, the worst of sinners, and we are thankful for that, God. Lord, I pray that Your people's hearts will be stirred and encouraged and strengthened. We pray that, that You will use this message, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.